If you haven't done so already, why don't we turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to pick things up in verse 13. Uh, we've been uh, looking at Romans. We started in September, took a break for Advent, and now we're back into it. We're going to look at the, the second half of chapter 4. Uh, again, Paul is going to talk about to us about uh, righteousness. He's going to talk to us again about faith. He's going to talk to us again about Abraham and how he uh, models that for us and what he has to teach us about uh, living by faith, a life of faith. And maybe to um, set the stage just a, a little bit with this, uh, it is our, our practice uh, when it comes to this uh, sermon time where we take uh, a book of the Bible or um, sometimes we did it with Abraham where we just looked at Abraham in the book of Genesis. But we'll take a, a book and we'll just work our way through it passage uh, by passage and let the text teach us what it has to teach us. Uh, and the, maybe the wisdom of this and the benefit of this is um, I don't pick passages that I feel comfortable with, uh, passages that I'm familiar with uh, only, and I don't pick passages that I think that you'll be comfortable with, that you'll be familiar with only either, but we're um, subjected to look at passages maybe that we wouldn't spend time in front of or that maybe passages that we don't want to hear about or we find passages that we are familiar with, the concepts uh, that we think we are familiar with there, and we think we're uh, hearing it again, and we think maybe we don't need to hear it again, but maybe God's Word is telling us that we do need to hear it again. And so let me uh, maybe back that up with this. When we lived in uh, Mississippi before we moved here, there was this one road that I dreaded going down, and my wife dreaded going down this road as well. Because it was full of potholes and because it was very uh, wavy, you might say. You'd go down and there'd be a lot of dips, a lot of potholes, and you feel like you're kind of maneuvering through there. Uh, I don't know if they did that to control the speed or what, but it was just a miserable road. And it was one of those roads that you had to use because you had to, to get to a certain part of town. You couldn't escape it. Bowman Road. And we were all excited. The whole county, the whole city was excited when they finally got the money together uh, to repair this road and to really they had to do it from scratch because of how it had been done before. And nobody was going to complain about how long it took because they knew that they had to set that foundation right. It had to be perfect. It had to be um, good to go because if it didn't, they're going to have the same problem again, more potholes and more waviness, and it's just going to be an ugly time. And so they took their time and they got the foundation right as we are looking at this book of Romans here, and we're looking at the end of chapter 4, maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, okay, he's going to talk about faith again. He's going to talk about righteousness again. That's all over the Bible. He's going to talk about Abraham. I'm tired of hearing about Abraham. I'm tired of hearing about faith. It's just so familiar. I'm ready to move on. What Paul is going to do, he is going to give you instructions. He's going to tell you what to do, and it is coming, and it's going to come hard. What Paul is doing here, he is laying a foundation He's saying, this is what you need to know. Before we get to the instruction, before we get to, to other promises of what God is going to do and what he calls us to be and to do, we've got to be firm in our foundation. We've got to be secure in our foundation. And so it's my hope as we move through this passage and as we move through into chapter 5 and so on, that you allow that foundation to be set, to be set in, on, in, in secure ways, in structurally sound ways, so that God can build upon that, and so that you can know a sense of power in how you're living the Christian life. 
And so with that being said, as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 25, Romans chapter 4. Let's hear these words to us. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be an heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promises are worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promises, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the fa- a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justifications. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, in these moments, would you quiet our hearts? Would you uh, enlarge our ears, so to speak, that we may hear of your goodness, that we may hear your gospel, that we would hear about your truth, and it would set into our souls, into our hearts, deeply and richly. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? At some point in one of our children's life, they were um, captivated for a brief time by a TV show called Little House on the Prairie. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that show. And you, could, we, you know, we have DVR, so you just record it and watch it when you want. And for some reason, more often than not, I would get sucked into watching this show, okay? I'd be just walking through, and the show would be starting, and it's, it's, it feels dated to me. Uh, watching this, and, and it goes, and they immediately start the story, and I can't turn it off because a commercial comes on, it's an easy way to leave, and I can't because I want to hear what happens. And there's one episode where this tornado has ripped through uh, where Laura Ingalls and her family is living. You know, they live, they live on a prairie, hence the title, Little House on the Prairie. And, um, and this tornado has come through, and they're hunkered down in their, their house, and uh, they're scared, of course. Tornado, the storm passes. Everybody's safe. Everybody's still alive. And uh, Charles, the father, he goes out, and he kind of investigates the property and goes to their barn and their tool shops there. And he looks it over, and there's some structural damage or some things that, are, that need to be fixed. They lost an animal. They lost some animals. I think they lost a horse. And uh, he's like, okay, this is, we can do this. We can fix this. This is kind of a bummer, but, you know, what do you do? 
And then he goes to his fields, and he knows what ha- you know what happens. He goes out to check on his crops, and it's gone. I mean, it's gone, gone. I mean, there is no hope of recovery. Uh, it's the season is over. It's kind of in the middle of things. It's too late uh, to start again. And he's just devastated, as you can imagine. He is thrown uh, for a loop big time. And he gets so um, down about it, and he's so pushed over the edge about this, he's kind of to the point now where he says, you know what, I give up. You know, it's been a struggle trying to get being out here and trying to, to cultivate a life out here. You know, maybe we should just go back home. Maybe we should just go back to where we came from and just set up shop there. He's kind of done with farming. But even more than that, he's not only willing to throw in the towel, you know, vocationally, I guess you might say, but spiritually as well. Uh, He is very frustrated with God in the sense of which, God, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? You know our needs, you know our situation. How is it that you allow this storm to come in and just devastate us like this and, and to leave us like this? And he is thrown for a loop. And the reason he's thrown for a loop, because there's, as you can imagine, you, you look at him, you watch how he's responding to things. There's certain things he knows about God, certain things he's heard on a Sunday. And here he is on his Monday, so to speak, and there's a disconnect. There's a gap between the two. Uh, Monday is horrible. All this stuff, this inexplainable stuff has happened to him that doesn't line up with what he knows to be the case spiritually, with what he uh, feels like God, who God is in his life. And there's this giant disconnect. There's this giant gap there. And maybe you've been in that situation where things you know that you're hearing on a Sunday just don't line up with the experiences you're having on a Monday. There's, there's a gap there. There's a void there. Well, what Abraham does for us, and what I think Paul helps us to see in this passage, is how faith fills that gap, so to speak, between Sunday and Monday. Abraham helps us understand how is it that we can take the reality and truth of God and apply it into our lives when hard situations hit us, and they strike us, and they seem to want to push us over the edge. Simply put, this passage at least how we're going to look at it this morning, is teaching us how to live by faith. And so the three things I want to do with this. So we've, we've got to talk a little bit about Abraham and, and his background and set things up, uh, why it is that Abraham is such a, a man of faith and why that's important for us uh, to see. And then I want to go back and talk about what I'm calling the reasonableness of faith. Uh, the reasonableness of faith. How is it that Abraham uh, could trust God in the midst of the circumstances that he saw? Why was his faith reasonable to him, so to speak? And then we're going to talk just some practical applications. Uh, how do we live this life of faith um, before us? So first, uh, the, the faith of Abraham. As we said last week, Paul is, has brought Abraham to the table, which makes sense. Uh, a lot of his readers are Jewish. They know Abraham. Uh, they know uh, these words. They know what uh, Paul is talking about when he makes mention of Abraham and his situation. And so we need to, to zoom in for a moment and, and think about uh, him and do a little bit of homework, do a little background. Uh, Abraham is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12, where God seemingly out of nowhere goes to Abraham and says, hey, I want to do something special in your life. I want to bless you in rich and deep ways, and so would you move, and so would you know that I'm going to uh, give you uh, a child, and would you know that that child is going to be uh, the vessel through which or the means through which I'm going to build you a great nation. 
And so God coming to Abraham, seeming out of nowhere, just by his grace, by his divine providence, saying, Abraham, you're the guy. I'm going to do something special through you. Which leads us to verse 18. Verse 18 and what Paul brings up here. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 15. And again, his readers are familiar with this. They know Abraham and they know his situation because of their background, because of their training, their familiarity with the Old Testament. They know that God has made certain promises to Abraham to give him a son. Now remember who it is that, that Abraham is, who it is that God is making this promise to. Abraham is an old guy. They don't have children. They don't know what it's like to have children. Uh, his wife is barren. And here is God saying to him, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Their circumstances are screaming at Abraham and Sarah, you're not going to have a child. If it hasn't happened in the past, why do you think it's going to happen in the future? And God is saying to them, you are going to have a child. I'm going to do this in your life. And so you get to verse 18 where it says, of Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. In hope against hope. What that means is there was no reason that he should hope. There's no reason, there's no pathway in his circumstances for him to say, you know what, this is reasonable. This could happen. I could see this happening because we're kind of good at this and we've got these kind of connections here or there. Medicines move this forward. Maybe it will happen. There was none of that. His circumstances said to him, no way this is going to happen. Because of your age and because of your history, it's not going to line up that, God, that you're going to have this child. But here is Abraham believing and trusting. He's taking what he's heard on a Sunday, so to speak, and he's getting to his Monday where his circumstances say, this is going to be difficult, this is hard, this is going to be, there's a disconnect, and there's been a gap that's filled, and it's his faith. His faith and belief and trusting God that God's going to do this, even though his circumstances say, you are kidding yourself. This is, this is just not going to work out well for you. And that's why I want to talk about the reasonableness of Abraham's faith. The reasonableness of Abraham's faith. And, and what I mean by that is how it was that Abraham was able to trust God and count him as trustworthy, even though his circumstances did not say to him that he could do that. Think about it uh, like this. Say you're taking a trip to California, and you're going to drive out to California. And the reason you're driving out to California is because you want to take in some of the sights that are along the way and stop and see stuff, and you just want to mosey on out there. You're not in a hurry. You just want to drive on out there and uh, have a good vacation like that. And say you were given an option. You were saying you could take these two car, one of these two cars out there. One was made in 1960, and one was made in 2018. Which car are you going to choose? You're going to choose the 18, the 2018 because it's more comfortable, because it's got, I guess they had air conditioner or heating in, in a 1960, but you're going to choose that car because it's comfortable. You're going to choose that car because it's got low miles, because it's a better motor, because the tires are better. It's, it's better in every way because you look at that and you think, that is reliable, and I can trust that to get me out there. What was it about Abraham that he saw in God that said, you know what, I'm trusting you to fulfill these promises in me. Look at verse 17. Abraham 
thinks this about God, knows this about God. It says there, God who, gave, who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. These two things that Abraham saw in God. And this was the, the, a part of the reasonableness of his faith. It made sense to him that he could trust God because of these two things. Look at those things. He saw that God was able to create life from the dead. Think resurrection. Where there was no life, where there was only death, God could bring uh, life from that. And then God was able to make things that are not. Maybe to put this into perspective a little bit, what are the two things that we cannot do? We cannot control death. There is nothing you can do can ultimately control death. And there is no way that you can make something out of nothing. We can only make something out of something. But God is able to make something out of nothing, and he's able to create life where there is only death. And this is what Abraham looked to. This is what the perspective that held Abraham. He knew these things about God. He knew these things to be true of him, and so he was to rest in those things. That's why his faith was reasonable. In other words, he was looking at the facts about God, and he's saying, I can trust him. My circumstances may say something different and may speak and preach a different sermon to me, but I'm going to allow this voice, I'm going to allow this sermon, these words to be louder to me. Maybe this illustration will help. There's a picture in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is on, this, on a boat with his disciples. Some of you know this story. And Jesus is asleep on the cushion in the back of the boat. And this giant storm sweeps them. Uh, they're out at sea there. It sweeps over them. And they're scared. The disciples are scared, which is something because if fishermen are scared about a storm, you know it's a really big deal. And so they rush back in the back of the boat and they they wake Jesus up and they say, there's a storm, there's a storm. You've got to wake up. You've got to save us. Don't you care about us, Jesus, that this is happening to us? And Jesus pops up in the only way that Jesus does. He just says a word and the storm just stops. And there's just stillness that's there now, just Instantly, it just stops. It's, it's just over with. And Jesus, in response to the disciples, saying to them, that, you know, the disciples come to him, don't you care about us, and so on and so forth. Jesus responds to them, and he kind of gets on their case a little bit. Because if, if you think about this, uh, why is it they're out in this storm? Why are they in this situation? Ultimately, it's because Jesus has brought them into this situation. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how they're going to respond. He's saying, you know what, disciples, you need to evaluate a little bit your faith. You need to examine your heart, why it is and what you're trusting in. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That's a good question. Disciples, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? What's he saying to them? He's saying, I've been with you for a while. You've seen me interact with a lot of people. You've seen me do a lot of miraculous things. I've healed a leper. I've, I've gotten a, a demon out of somebody. I've uh, healed this paralytic, and I've forgiven him of his sins. And you've seen me, you know the other stories, all the other miracles that I have done. And disciples, you've seen that. And Jesus says to them, have you still no faith? What's he doing? He's saying to them, this is what faith is. Faith is not about you believing really positive things and about ginning up a real positive attitude. Faith is about looking at 
the truth of what we are believing in. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Reason and reason from that. It only makes sense that you would trust me because I've done this, 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 and this. It's only reasonable that you would look at this circumstances now in this boat with this storm and know that I'm going to take care of you. Know that I'm going to protect you. Know that I'm going to watch over you. And that's why I say there's a reasonableness to our faith. And I think there's a reasonableness to Abraham's faith. He is looking at who God is that he's able to create, he's able to do, he's able to give life where there is only death. And it only makes sense if that is true that I can trust him to fulfill his promises, to work in my life. As you think about your Mondays, as you think about your circumstances, they just don't line up with what you know to be true about God. Maybe it's, it's, it's a moment for us to examine what do I believe about God? What has he promised himself to be to me? And am I believing in him in light of those truths? Am I approaching him by faith? The last thing, if this is the reasonableness of faith, what does it look like maybe to live this faith out, to, to grow uh, in our faith? And what does this passage teach us about the nature of faith more so? Uh, two things, two maybe points of application, then we'll then we'll pray. The first one is this, that growing in faith means learning to doubt appearances. Growing in faith means to learn to doubt appearances. And here's what I mean by that. Go back again and look at verse 19. It says of Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Maybe a, a, a way to translate what, or to um, comment on what that, what that means. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning we don't live, we don't put our faith in appearances. We don't put our faith in what we are seeing. We put our faith in, in God, in what is unseen. And so what I say, sometimes maybe we need to doubt appearances. What I mean is sometimes maybe we need to doubt our circumstances. And not let those things be bigger to us than the promises of God, than the reality of God. What gets us into trouble is our circumstances become huge. That's all we see, and it covers what we know to be about God. His strength, his mercy, his grace, his power, all that gets hidden because we're, we're burdened by our circumstances, the impossibility of our circumstances and what we are facing at that time. And so to doubt our circumstances or to doubt appearances means that we've got to uh, believe in and trust the one that loves us even though we don't understand. There was a time a number of years ago, I remember one of our children saying uh, very graciously and very kindly, my tooth really hurts, okay? And it went on and on, their tooth hurting and hurting. And so my wife and I looked at each other, it's like, well, I guess, I guess we got to call the dentist. And so we... Bring this child to the dentist, and uh, he was six, and he's never been to the dentist before. And he, they put him in this big old chair, and he's got to lay down, and he's not excited about doing that. And they say, well, we've got to take x-rays, and he's not excited about doing that. They've got to put this big mouth guard in, you know. They put the big lead vest on, all this kind of stuff, and he wasn't excited about that. Uh, he would open his mouth, but that was kind of it. And later on, I got the play-by-play uh, of this. 
And finally, my wife had to sit him down and say, listen, I know you're not familiar with this. I know you don't know what all this is about, but you've got to trust us. I'm okay with you being frustrated. I'm okay with you being a little pushback. But at the end of the day, you've got to trust us. You've got to trust me because I love you. I'm not asking you to understand everything that's going on, but you've got to trust us with this process. I'm not sure how it worked out, but at some point we've got to come to the similar situation. We don't know why these things are happening to us. We don't know why this or that. But at the end of the day, at some point we've got to say, I don't know what's going on. God, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I trust you. I trust that you love me. And I trust the fact that if I knew what you knew, that I would want the same thing. And so even though I don't understand, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. And we can keep keep believing that you are bigger than my circumstances. The second thing and the last thing is this. Uh, Growing in your faith sometimes means waiting so God can strengthen you. Growing in your faith sometimes means waiting so that you can allow God to strengthen you. Think about what's going on with Abraham here. Abraham waited a long time. It's not like he came to, God came to him in December 1 and said, you're going to have a child, and they were pregnant by the spring. This was year after year after year after year after year after year waiting upon God to fulfill his promises. Year after year after year of the opportunity where it could have been he looked at his circumstances and said, these circumstances are way too big for God to overcome. But how did he spend that time You would think the longer he waited, the weaker his faith would be. The longer that he is suffering, the longer that he is just anticipating and looking for God to finally move and and praying and praying and praying that his faith would weaken with time. But Paul tells us that his faith strengthened with time. Why is that? Because of what happens, what he says in verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. The longer he waited, it was more of an opportunity to grow in his faith. And what helped him grow in his faith, what strengthened him in his faith, was giving glory to God. Giving glory to God in the sense of, God, I'm going to continue to remind myself who you are. I'm going to continue to praise you. I'm going to continue to look to you. I'm going to continue to say that you are bigger than my circumstances. I know that you're a God that gives life. I know that you're a God that creates something out of nothing. I know you're a God that does all these things. I'm going to keep praising you. I'm going to keep glorifying your name. I'm going to keep being a student of you. I'm going to keep learning about all that you are. I'm going to keep trusting you. And his faith was strengthened. Some of you may be in the waiting room, so to speak, where you need God to answer. You need God to work. You're waiting for him to work, waiting for him to do Are you using that time to be strengthened in your faith, to give glory to God? God may not be answering your prayers as quickly as you want. You may feel like he's being silent. But are you allowing that time to strengthen you? Are you allowing that time to to glorify him so that you can know him more fully and know, know him more richly? Let's pray to God and ask that he would do these things. Father God, It is so easy for us to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. Uh, This passage about Abraham is amazing to us. Amazing that he would trust you like this for so many years when his circumstances said, no way it's going to happen. 
Father God, we need to hear about what it means to live by faith. We need to be a people that constantly bring you glory, constantly glorify your name, constantly singing your praises, constantly praying to you, constantly reminded of all that you've done for us. We pray that the truth of the gospel would sink in and it would change us, it would nourish us, it would strengthen us where we can deal with that gap that exists sometimes we feel between our Sundays and our Mondays. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.